Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Hey, I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirlow. Welcome to The God Whisperers. The manly doctors of divinity. We are what we are. Uh-huh. We are disturbing and yet compelling <laughs> all at the same time. That's, I've heard that a lot about myself. So. <laughs> disturbing yet compelling. I've got uh, one thing to say to you, Bill. Uh-huh. It's, it's coming out right here. Here we go. The fanfare. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, some of you probably think about now we're converting to Calvinism. We've been talking about it so much. And the reality is this. We are disturbing and yet compelling. And so we like talking about disturbing things like Calvinism. That's <laughs> disturbing. Hey, if you want to call and leave a message on the God Whispers hotline, Manly Doctors 13, 626-593-7713. Ah, home, the, 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 the mothership, godwhispers.org.com. Email godwhispers at yesgmail.com. I don't know. I like Tiny Tim better. I'm liking this, actually. This is, who is this? This is Helen Shapiro. <laughs> Helen Shapiro. Yes. I like the voice. Kind of a little torchy there, huh? Doris Day feel. Yeah. So it's a little breathy. I like it. I'm not too nuts about the trumpet. But the, uh... Oh, there it goes. Cut time. Hey. Okay. Nice. Email, Bill. Yeah, I have, a, I, have a, I have an email from Matt. Oh, well, first of all, how do people email us? Did you say already? I did. You did? Yeah. I was busy playing with the stuff here. I wonder if this is the same guy. I wonder if this is I wonder if this is Matt, Matt the Canadian guy who called us uh, in between the second and third period of the Edmonton game. Well, if it is, I think we should just throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't help it. Nice, because he, too, is a Reformed Baptist. It's, there can't be two Reformed Baptists named Matt. I can't pick up the accent, though, from the email. But let's, he says, uh, hi there. Hi, yeah. Oh, man, this, this song's still going here. I had a... <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a question <laughs> that I thought you'd be able to answer. I am a Reformed Baptist. See, right away, then I'm not sure I could answer the question. Right. Yeah, but <laughs> let's, we'll try anyway. Who goes to a confessional Reformed Baptist church? Wait, wait, wait. Reformed baptized babies, but Baptists don't. Right. And this is confessional. That's okay. I went to a Calminian church for a long time, so I can... Oh, it's a like hometown buffet of confessions here. I've recently started studying how to properly distinguish law and gospel. Now, Uh-oh. That, they're in trouble. That, that's going to get him in deep, deep trouble. Uh, I have a question based on this. In our afternoon service, we are going through a video series by Paul David Tripp called What Did You Expect? It's about marriage. 
Mm. In the video we watched most recently, he made some comments that made me think that he failed to properly distinguish the law from the gospel. Okay, here we go. The lesson talked about the root of the problem in marriage is ourselves. You are your own worst enemy. Your spouse is going to be one of your greatest sources of sanctification. He Hmm? says, well, bear with me. Quote, the only way to truly love your neighbor as yourself, you need first to love God. You have to fix your vertical relationship before you can fix your horizontal relationship. Wow. The biggest thing in the way of a happy marriage is that you love yourself instead of God. You must love God more than you love yourself. Uh, End of quote. Resume Matt. While that may be true, I think this is law. Do you think this is law? I think this is bad. That's not good. One, hey, my First Amendment's returning. <laughs> you're, you're, you're drinking out. You should tell people that you're drinking out of a... My Bill of Rights a cup. A Bill of Rights cup where your rights disappear when the cup heats up. As, as the hot liquids go so into he, the cup, he, your he, rights disappear. He poured a steaming cup of Obama, and, and his rights were disappearing left and right. Well, that's not a nice way to talk about my cocoa. Oh... I like I like this cup, then. and you gave so me I, one for I Christmas. One. Now yeah. I have to get you something. It's an for advent Christmas. gift. I have I have I have a God Whispers ornament for you. Mm. <laughs> nice. We have three. We should figure out a giveaway at some point. Anyway, getting back to Matt, I think this is law. We think this is law too. How do you know it's law? If you have to do it, it's law. Fixing your vertical. Can you fix your vertical relationship? Nope. That's the problem. I can right fix there. my vertical hold on my old TV. but that's <laughs> I can barely it. do that. Isn't the commandment to love God the law and not the gospel? Yes. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And that means that love is the law because it is the only way to obey it. Hmm. However, am I wrong to say that this is not the gospel? Am I wrong to say that this actually doesn't help? My thought is that telling me you must love God doesn't help me. Telling me the problem, V's, I love me more than God, and telling me that I need to love God more than self is not wrong. However, this doesn't help me. Even as a Christian, I can't do it. I can't love God with all my heart. Um, I still sin. I will never fully love God more than self as long as I have a flesh to contend with. So he is essentially saying when it comes to your sanctification, obey the law. Would not the gospel be the answer? Would not telling me a Christian about the God, would not telling me a Christian about the gospel produce love of God in my heart? Was Paul Tripp wrong to just assume his hearers knew the gospel? This is a lecture on marriage, I know, but does not the gospel still have to be proclaimed? Every time the law is, can you just leave people hanging, convicted, and condemned by the law? Didn't Jesus leave people under the condemnation of the law in the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> oh, yes. Is this an example of misunderstanding the third use of the law? Any help you can be on me this issue would be greatly appreciated. In Christ, Matt. Okay, where do you want to go with that? Well, Christ did leave people under the condemnation of the law, and then he fulfilled it. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, in fact, I was doing. Uh, we, we were doing a Bible study in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, you know, the, this past week as we're recording, uh, in my uh, my midweek Bible study, and I pointed out some things. That, you know, I said Jesus is a really good teacher, and you got to remember that. And good teachers don't only convey information. Uh, but good teachers teach by example, and sometimes they teach experientially. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm an experiential learner. I have to try. What Paula? What are you doing over there? That's a, 
she's she's quite aggressive about opening the mail. I think. Yeah, I mean the mail is just being ripped open as though like you just won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes or something. But man, <clears throat> where was I? Do you remember? I have no idea. Oh, see, I lost lost my. Total I'm, chain I'm of looking play. for sound effects here. <laughs> I, I just, I just for. Oh Jesus! Yes, thank, thank you, thank you, Paula. <laughs> Yes, I'm an experiential learner. And so the, the Sermon on the Mount is as much experiential learning as it is communication of principles. And so when Jesus teaches about the law, he teaches it to the point of its undoability, which is where I really want to get. You know, that we cannot perfectly do the law. Well, right. And we, so, so he, what he does is he amplifies the law to sort of the, the, the cry out for mercy point. When I hear someone say, you have to fix the vertical problem, you're never going to do that. Right. That's Good luck with that. Right. As a matter of fact, if this guy could fix his own vertical problem, I'd sure like to see that. <laughs> that, that would be well, a really cool trick. See, yeah. And so, again, I think he's right, and I would agree this far, that the, the, the diagnosis is correct. That, you know, the problem in marriage, the problem in life, the problem, bye, Paula, we'll see you later. What, she going out to open the mail outside? Hey, she's going to go see the doctor. Oh, okay. Have fun. <laughs> I, I hope he can remove that thing that's sticking out of your neck. Oh. oh. Wait, that's your head. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> bye. You know, the problem in marriage and life and everything is that, yes, we are self-oriented, self-centered, curved inward on ourselves. And were it not from God, not, were it not f- for God, uh, who basically undoes us, uh, we'd be done for. But to, to tell somebody who's turned in on themselves that they need to be turned to God is like you know telling the dead to breathe or something. Yeah, not going to work too well. So, so the, the diagnosis is correct. The prescription is wrong. I, I actually think I want to credit Matt here with uh, doing uh, some, some good diagnoses of the, the problem with the presentation. And yes, it is all law. And no, it's not third use of the law. It's just simply law. I'm sad. What, why are you sad? There's no whip sound on our oh, sound. Oh, you're, oh, that's what you were so yeah, diligently looking said. for a whip. You were looking no for the, effect. well, you need to buy the, the sadomasochistic package uh-huh. of sound effects does, for a garage does band. Does Mac have that? They have the I'm, S&M package? I'm sure the S&M package is around there. But um, <laughs> yeah, telling, telling somebody you need to love God is not going to create the love of God. No. You know, that, that's, that's the guy beating you up saying, love me, love me, while he's punching your lights out. You know, it's just not... Speaking of the S&M package. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where I was going with it, you know. But, but he, yeah, no one will be saved by their works. No one will be justified by their works. No one will be sanctified by their works. Basically, your works get in the way. So, so let, me, let me ask you something then, is, is that if you were going to do a marriage series... And, and you, you know, you're working with the, the diagnosis that your problem and the problem in your marriage is that you are inherently self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, how then would you, would you approach this? What would you do? How well, would you say it as opposed to the way uh, this guy says he heard it um, in this, this, uh, this marriage series that he's listening in to? In a law and gospel approach, I would approach it saying you are self-centered. You are turned in on yourselves. You really only care about yourself first and foremost. But let's look at Ephesians and how Paul describes God's relationship with his bride, the church, as a paradigm of how 
God is with us. And when we see how God treats his, his bride, the church, maybe we can find that all is right between us and God, and we find that in our sinfulness we are redeemed, and maybe there we will have grace for one another even more than before. So you, you, you'd start with Christ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or I'd uh, say cut it out. Or, one, or just, one or the just knock it off. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think... I, being a brat, stop it. I, I think, and, and um, I, I, I like the title, if that's the title of the thing, What Did You Expect? Um, I, I, the, the yeah, problem, that was promising. That the, the, was. the problem is really in the prescription, because, because, yes, what do you expect in marriage when you bring two sinners together? Um, I expect sin. Right. You know, and I expect people to be sinning against one another. And the question is, how are we going to survive a lifetime uh, in an intimate relationship with one another if we are two sinners sinning against each other? And the the key word, I think, is forgiveness, to mm-hmm. forgive as we have been forgiven in Christ. Right. Um, and, and I think that that means first and foremost, uh, re- learning the language of confession and absolution mm-hmm. so that, that uh, you first learn to be forgiven. Um, and so rather than saying you need to love God, um, I, I think a Lutheran might say uh, what you need first and foremost is to receive. Right. Before you can forgive, you must be forgiven. Before you can love another, you must be loved by God. I, I, you remind me of James Nestingen, who was talking to us, and he was talking about this guy who was, I can't remember if he was cheating on his wife or what, and uh, Jim would just keep telling him, Christ forgives you. Mm-hmm. The guy wasn't even confessing his mm-hmm. sin. He was just, you know, kind of lamenting his situation. And he'd just say, Christ forgives you. And he, he kept absolving the guy until finally <laughs> he came to a place of repentance where he decided... Yeah, this is really bad, you know, and, and so over a long period of time, he was absolved into confessing. Yeah, it's the kindness of God that yeah. leads you to repentance. Right, yes. right. It's so that I, I've, I'll never forget that because it's just this constant absolution that led this guy to actually confessing his sin. Right, you know, and, and before you can ask hus- uh, wives to submit to their husbands or to be ordered under them and, and husbands to love their wives sacrificially, they both need to understand, experience, uh, recognize, believe that they are on the receiving end of God's sacrificial love to them in Christ. Yes. Uh, and so the, I think the real fundamental error of what Matt's quoting here is that you can't fix the vertical. You know, that God has to establish the vertical. You know, we were talking about this in my Bible class uh, on Sunday, is we're looking at a a book by J.A.O. Preuss III called Just Words, and we've been working through it chapter by chapter. Have you ever seen that book? No. Um, What he did was he collected uh, various images, metaphors, however you want to say it, of salvation under various headings. And so justification would be one among many. Okay, that's kind of the forensic metaphor. But we're looking at personal relationship metaphors. Uh, and marriage is one of them. So, And you pointed it out, you know, Christ and the church. Uh, that, that becomes a, a metaphor for salvation, that, that Christ becomes one flesh with his church, and his church united to him is saved. 
Uh, and, and we talked about these relational metaphors. And I, you know, I pointed out, I said, you have to understand that in a relationship with a greater and a lesser, the lesser never takes the initiative. You don't dare come to the king. He comes to you. You know, or when, when you're looking at the image of Christ and his bride, the church, recognize that in, in Middle Eastern society, where Paul is writing this, women did not take initiative in the marriage covenant. In other words, women did not propose to men. Men proposed to women. Hmm. And so, so the initiator, the source of this vertical relationship is not us, it's God. Uh, God has to establish this vertical relationship of faith, and only out of that can we then talk about the horizontal relationship of love. Now, I suspect the guy who wrote this marriage thing is an Arminian. I, it sounds like it. Because, you know, it's basically, oh, you got unplugged, you got to plug yourself back in again. <laughs> well, and that's just part of the whole thing of so many churches is you, you've got to get plugged in here. You've got to get plugged into God. You've got to get plugged into your marriage. You've got to get plugged in, you know, and all this. Yeah, it, it and, becomes and this endless do you're, list you're of the things one, you can't do. Right. You're the one doing the plugging in this paradigm is a problem. Or maybe can't is the wrong word. Let, let's say won't because it's really a matter of will is, is that the old Adam is set against the mind of Christ. And so it's a matter not of, of fixing something. It's a matter of dying and rising. See, that's kind of the missing element here is that but what he's quoting is you need to fix things. So they're like, there's, you got to repair your vertical relationship to God uh, rather than the problem is that you need to die and rise is your problem. Right. So in our church, we, we realize that you have a problem on the vertical. And how, how would we say that that is repaired? Confession and absolution. Yeah, receiving the sacraments, right? That's right. Is, uh, That's right. Come hearing, receive the Lord's Supper, hearing hear the forgiveness. Word of God, hear of his grace and mercy, right. That's right. It, it starts there. And in recognition of those gifts. See, you know, there, there's your healing of relationships because when you and your wife are communing at the same altar, you have to wrestle with the fact that the same body and blood of Christ that is in you is in her. Right. And so you, you have to deal with her on those terms. And that's true of any Christian, actually. You know, the, the distinctive thing is you've made a vow with, with your wife and you're one flesh with her. But, uh, and that kind of adds to it because, because that one flesh relationship of husband and wife is superseded by only one other union. And that's the union of the believer with Christ. I, I believe in the superiority of private confession and absolution over the corporate version. But the corporate version is good in this. We stand next to each other. And we confess the same thing together. And if you listen and pay attention to what's going on, you're saying, I'm no worse than you. You're no worse than me. We're all equally just nasty people. And everybody here is a stinker. And then we hear the words of absolution that Christ forgives all the stinkers of the world. Yeah. And so I think that that's the, the making the high places low and straightening the roads and everything else. It's the locker room where nobody knows who's driving the BMW or the Porsche or the old rust bucket outside. Everybody's nude. And there is no oh, see, that's greater bad, or that's lesser. A, that's a bad image. That's kind of like a TSA image at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking security line right But I'm now, just but... saying we're all equally naked and bare before yeah. God and, and in this way before one another, also spiritually speaking. Yes. And, and, and not in the way of like a TSA scanner. No, you're just a... Dirty, dirty the, man. the law. Hey, there's an interesting. The law as TSA scanner. 
<laughs> we stand naked and distorted before God. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah, just as so long as the pastor is not pastor as TSA agent. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of a pastoral grope. Yeah, that's 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 not gone well. <laughs> well, oh. I, I'm just thinking as the guy who performs the uh, cavity search or something. That's just... <laughs> not yet, but it's coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah th- this is this is the thing. Is it, 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 maybe the crux of it is that that in this series, if I'm catching what Matt is saying, um, the key is the 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 key to fixing marriages is love. You right. got to get your love of God right, and then you got to get love of your spouse right. Well, and you can't get the love of God right until you get His love for you right. Right. And yeah. whereas, whereas we would say the key is forgiveness. Right. And in fact, I've said that with with premarital counseling. I said three most important words in your marriage are "I forgive you," hmm. because if you can't say those, then "I love you" isn't going to be said very much. Right. And and uh, and so it's really about forgiveness, receiving it from God, and spreading it to one another. We had an interesting dialogue in a in a in a Bible study recently where somebody was kind of we were talking about forgiveness, and you know how we kind of hedge our bets is is well, don't they have to confess to you first? <laughs> and and then there's some other you know don't they have to be sorry? Don't they have to you know blah blah blah? And I said you know the the way you, the way you test all of this is you ask how has God dealt with you? Right. You know, now he forgave you. Uh, did you confess first before he forgave you? Well, going back to my favorite parable, the prodigal son. Right, right. right the, before before Junior can get the words out of his mouth, he's already restored. Dad's put a robe on him, a ring on his finger, is well, killing the cow. And dinner's been cooking. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, he's been planning this all along. Yeah, you know? it, it's so he he never got his speech out that right. he prepared. He never he never uttered a word. As soon as he started to talk, it was too late. He was It's done. And in Christ, the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world, God has been forgiving the world in Christ all along. Yeah. You know, and now he makes it known in, in the crucified Christ on the cross. But, uh, you know, he dealt with your sins before you ever knew you had any. Before you were a gleam in your father's <laughs> eye. And so, but see, that's kind of a great, when you're talking about forgiveness, and, and you could take love too, you know, that that, uh, that we are to love one another as we have been loved by God. Jesus said, you know, love one another as I have loved you. But it starts with him. He takes the initiative. Right. right. And And when we refuse... You see, we, when we refuse, we're misrepresenting God's love and forgiveness to us. Yeah. And that, you know, that brings up the thought that how can we love God unless we first start to have an inkling of how he loved us? And then when we start to have that inkling of how much he's loved us and to what end, how can we not love him? Mm-hmm. And so it's the same kind of thing that just kind of boils up. See, I, the, the, I think that the real flaw and why this isn't going to work is that, is that the, the prescription is more love rather than forgiveness. Yeah. The, the, or as we would say, confession and absolution. More grace. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and, and more love, that's not going to come from us because the, you know, God is love. And so, so the love that we have for one another is a love that originates in God. He's the source. Don't you love it when somebody comes to you and says, pastor, I'm having a hard time with my wife or with my husband and he or she is just a dirty rotten snake and blah 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 you know selfish and turning on themselves and and it's all them 
and it can't be anything to do with me. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I said, well, wait a minute. You know, how are you contributing to this? How, what's your part in this? And let's, let's talk about this for a minute also. You know, how are you participating? It takes two to fight. And, uh, you know, what are you contributing to this mess? And with that starts to come a confession if they start to examine themselves. And hopefully you'll get to a point where they'll say, well, yeah, I'm contributing in this way and this way. Well, you know, let's work on that, too. So, you know, that's part of the whole confession is realizing I, I'm I'm no good. I, I need I need forgiveness, too. You know, the, the other aspect of this is you hear sometimes people will say, well, I know all that, but I just can't do it. No, you won't do you it. You won't do it. Yeah. That's the key. And 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 I think this is the other part of this this sanctification preaching application kind of thing is first you need to know and be reminded who you are. That is you are a child of God in Christ. You're baptized. Mm-hmm. You have the Holy Spirit. You have all the gifts of the Spirit, you know, the the fruit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Uh, you have those things. Are you going to use them? Well, that's another story. But if you say you can't, what you're basically saying is Christ can't hmm. because you're in Christ. Yeah. And and so the only time you're you're permitted to say I can't is if you're not in Christ. Right. Uh, but being in Christ, you certainly can. The question is, will you? That's yeah. all. Yeah. And and uh, you know, I think this is sometimes where we Lutherans have, have sort of tripped up, is we 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 make that confession. I I can't do any of these things, um, and then we draw the false conclusion. Therefore, I'm not even going to bother to try doing these things. But this isn't the way. This isn't the way the the epistles work. It says this is who you are. You can you. There is no condemnation. You're not going to be condemned for any attempt that you make now. And, uh, you know, recognize you still have, as, as he says here, he still has, you know, the sinful flesh to contend with. But you've got the mind of Christ. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got everything, you know, everything going for you. Hmm. So, you know, you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah, the idea that I can't forgive someone because they've done something so heinous, you know, and mm-hmm. and my question back and this is for myself also is why do you think you're so special <laughs> what why right you know why is it that you're so grand that uh someone who slighted you can't be forgiven why why are you on god level here well know? i That's... mean you know son of god being nailed to the cross said father forgive them they don't know what they're right. doing right. now uh you know how did you get to be greater than jesus that's really what i want to exactly. know here you know yeah. that you're so offended you can't possibly forgive oh and now you've gotten to the o word <laughs> you offended you know i am so offended well you know why do you think that you are someone that should be catered to so much uh, the privileged right? position. The old Adam yes. loves the privileged position. Offended. But that's he a, who can scream at first gets the high road. I, you know, I appreciate that's also Matt pointing this out. I want to encourage him. I, I think I think that he's really he's 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 uh, putting the law gospel test to good use. Yep. And I think he also points out the dangers when we start looking at some specifics of of just life. You know, whether it's marriage, finances, whatever you're talking about. Um, this is where law and gospel gets muddled up enormously because it's like, oh, you know, we're all Christians now. We all know about forgiveness. Let's move on from there to the important topics now. And he points out how you can, I, I think his question really, really demonstrates how you can't separate anything from our justification in Christ and from, from the gospel. Sounds about right to me. We've got a minute left. I don't know what to do with a minute. <laughs> 
Well, we could play some music. Uh, I, I think it's time for an Advent hymn myself. But we can, we can. No, not that. What do we got? Louis Armstrong oh, singing Louis. Disney. Nice. Take us out on uh, Advent hymn. Wait, uh, gotta hear Louis first. Look for. <laughs> You know, I just thought of this. We're talking about long gospel. It's the bare necessities. It's a, yeah, we're talking. That's true. Okay, Advent, Advent. Play us something. Oh, I'm, I'm liking this now. This is Louis. Yeah. Now we got 30 seconds left. What do we do with that? We'll just listen to Louis. I think I think Louis should take us out. When we come back, we'll be listening or listening, reading through an interesting list of Bible verses. That uh, will kind of from a, us a Calvinist, Arminianism, Arminian, and, and Lutheran view. So it'll be interesting. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. To make some honey just for me. You look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. Look for. Simple bare necessities Forget about your worries and your strife I mean the bare necessities Once he came in the To the God Whispers, I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. Is this more of uh, Concordia Seminary? Concordia Seminary Chorus, the album is entitled Blessed. And uh, the hymn to or the hymn is Once He Came in Blessing. It's beautiful. So no, another one of my favorites. Yeah, it's uh, this, a good one. This is another Henry Gerke arrangement for four-part male chorus. Stanza. Please rise. Come <laughs> <laughs> 
Can't beat those tenors. They creep me out. <laughs> I, I don't know how you can get guys to sing that they high. creep me out. That's all that I have to say. <laughs> There's just something about the <laughs> you know, tenor it, it, It's beautiful, but weird. Yeah, well, you know, having... Much s- like the God Whispers. <laughs> beautiful, but weird. Uh, how's your advent going? You know, this this program's going to air December 20th, so the story will have been written by right, then. Right, right. Uh, Advent's going pretty well. You know, I got... Uh, my series going on Christ in the Old Testament and and uh, uh, are you, evening prayers on Wednesdays. Are, are you doing Are you doing stuff in the house churches too? That you're the uh, house doing? churches are on hiatus. Oh, they're on hiatus. Yes. What for the holidays? Well, uh, they are sent to other churches I as see. I'm just too busy right oh, now. Okay, with, yeah, yeah, with the church that I'm called to. <laughs> so <laughs> that that does happen. Yeah, yeah. But uh, most of those folks go to Faith Capital Beach anyway. Oh, okay. It's, it's a it's a plant out of there, and so they have their they have their, their hub to the mothership. They yes. can go to the mothership. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, there are a few that uh, I'm concerned might be returning to Calvary Chapel for a few weeks, and <laughs> I'll just have we, to round them up again. We got to get uh, Vicar Sheik to work on this. Mm. Uh, looks like things may be handed over to him, so that's good. <laughs> the uh, yeah, our our. Midweek service. I grew up with midweek services in 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 Advent. You know, you have some kind of evening prayer, vespers, or something. But ours have been pretty uh, pretty light in attendance because half my congregation doesn't live in the area. I had more people on Wednesday than I had on Sunday. Oh, seriously? But that it was just a really low Sunday. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Sunday was okay. well. This this past Sunday, as we're recording, uh, that that that's understandable because it just sort of fell at the back end of I Thanksgiving. You probably have this. I have people who are driving in from Ventura County to go to church at Mount Olive. Yeah, we got some long distance. That's you you, t- you tend to get them from up north. I tend to get them from south. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're up in Pasadena. Um, it's a wasteland out there. Well, you know the it's problem crazy. though is it's it's really tough to have a congregation that's that's that has a large segment that are commuters, and and I think this is more and more the case. It, it's also in other places, not just California. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's it's hard to do anything any other time except Sunday because that's the only time that they're all right. there. Yeah. So you tend to sort of pack everything into Sunday. Yeah, and it it'll gets just, exhausting. Well, it does. I mean, if you if you can do any teaching, you know, that it's Sunday. You can do catechism. It's Sunday. You know, do I have a church work day? They want to do it on Sunday because mm-hmm. they don't want to make another trip. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's it's not the best arrangements to have uh, to have a, essentially a commuter congregation. Well, if more of our churches would just be faithful and use a hymnal, <laughs> well, we it, wouldn't be stuck in. It this is situation. kind of the magic. Uh, even they, I think they just have to offer a service that does that. You know, I mean, the, I think people would ignore everything. Stop else the forty that... days of purpose nonsense <laughs> yeah, and be right. Lutherans for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah, do Advent. I love Advent. Ad, Advent has some great themes. You know, the first Sunday in Advent is is the coming of Christ in glory the the second two are john the baptist which that always makes for colorful preaching you know when you yeah. get you know, john john it doesn't yeah. get more colorful than john no no he's he's a sassy guy sassy <laughs> what he is <laughs> well he's prophetic that too yeah and then uh how do you handle the john the baptist stuff i mean what what do you have any particular take on that well, uh, what in particular? Are well, you I mean, of? you know, the, the the questions automatically come up about his baptism. What's he up ah, to? Who is yes. he? Yes, yeah, the you baptism know? of repentance versus the yeah. baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah, that's that's a uh, that's a tricky one to, <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> yeah, you know, I handle John. John those, is trans- those who were baptized by John, and and I think it's an Acts. 
that uh, they say, oh, well, they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. And so, yeah, you have a lot of strange Spirit, little incidences so. in, 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 in Acts like that. Right. Right. I mean, there there were a whole group. The Ebionites are basically sort of uh, the the they were the holdovers of followers of John. Yeah, I always point out though also that uh, John's baptism is Christ's baptism because Christ was baptized in the same baptism. Yeah, but it's not ours though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in fact, you might say John is Old Testament. Right. And and so so just as he's Jesus, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Yeah, well he's the one Malachi talked about the, right. that Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so mm-hmm. here comes John in the wilderness. And if you if you take it in John's gospel, he comes at, at precisely the same place that Elijah left. So he shows up right where Elijah left. Yeah, he's, and he's, you know, wearing the sort of prophetic garb, the, the, yeah, the camel's the hair. Yeah. yeah, he's got the vestments. And uh, and then he, he comes with this 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 proselyte washing. If you rode a motorcycle, you could look a lot like John with <laughs> yeah, bugs right. stuck yeah, to your beard that's, and stuff. That's right. That would be good. But you know, he comes with his baptism and you know, I I've learned that baptism is not unknown at his time. This wasn't no. a totally new thing because uh because Judaism had a proselyte washing. Mm-hmm. But, Still do. But you can understand why why the the Pharisees and the religious types wanted nothing to do with it because they were convinced they were in. So what do they need to be baptized for? That's right. for proselytes. Right. And and what John is saying, all Israel has to become a proselyte. All Israel has to be reborn, you know. And so he's he's calling them away from temple. Have you ever noticed how the temple really does not figure in the Gospels at all? I mean, Jesus hangs with it, and he does stuff at it, but he really you don't have any records. Yeah, I mean, he's turn, he turns over tables, uh, which is a very messianic thing to do: cleansing the temple, purging it. What do we got going here? It's the, Paul is, is, it the, is that the dog or Paula? Paul is making noise. Ah, okay. <laughs> can't beat. They're going sorry. Can't beat GW recording at your kitchen table. <laughs> but there's always something, even at church. You know, we have people banging on the pipes, oh, yeah, or yeah. you know, the air conditioning not but working. But that is what we're all about. The, the ambience. That, that's we're it. real. We're real. That's it. So, but you know, you have you have you, have, you know that 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 I think some people honestly believe that John was was the Messiah in sort of a priestly way. You know, there's some who think there are two messiahs, a priestly and a kingly. Who who what? Who? I mean that that was that was part of the part of the messianic oh, expectation. I thought you were saying there people today believe that. No. Oh, but I'm saying that that part of the expectation is is that that there you know, the, the concept of Messiah was not totally crystallized at the time of no, Jesus. No, so in John they actually ask, "Who are you? Are you, are you? are you the Christ?" They ask John that. He goes, "Nope." You know, just <laughs> just a voice, just a voice calling in the wilderness. Well, by the same token, even as Christ is on on the premises, his own guys didn't understand what he was here for. Right. Yeah, you know? well, that's, and I think that's part of the messianic secret. Don't tell anybody I'm the Christ until after I die and rise, because yeah. nobody's going to get this any other way. Yeah, everybody's going to expect me to set up my kingdom here, you know, in Jerusalem and rule over the world. And then you have the Zebedee boys fighting about who's going to be at the right and the left. And... <laughs> see, I see kind of a parallel, too. John, John... John brought a baptism in preparation for the first coming of Christ, and the church has a baptism in preparation for the second coming of Christ. So mm. we're we're kind of John the Baptist for the end times. That's an interesting thought. 
just a little advent tidbit to toss out there, yeah. you know. I just had something weird going on under the table, and then I realized it was Rufus. It was Rufus. <laughs> like, are you playing footsies with me? What's going on over there? Either that or, you know, it felt suspiciously like a TSA search, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, let's get to our, I've got, uh, I've got some, to our passages. Let me, get, let, me get, let me get to my passages Thank you, Rush Limbaugh. Calvinism and Arminianism. You know, we've been we've been kind of entertaining this for a few weeks with our tulip stuff. And uh, oh no, don't don't play that song again. You never <laughs> know what might happen. You're here. looking, but uh, and we've had some letters in that. And and I dug up this site that compares uh, sort of a Calvinist and Arminian take on certain key passages. You got that grin on your face, like. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. It's there lurking. It's the Helen Shapiro. It could, it could pop I, out. I made the switch. Yeah, well, it's better. Let's 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 just But we're not talking tulip anymore, so knock that off. All right. <laughs> Through the tulips. Yeah. All right. I like her voice though a lot. Um, is, yeah, Helen Shapiro, who knew? I might have to buy some of her albums. <laughs> Helen <now>. Shapiro. <laughs> You think maybe she's Jewish? I think there's a real. I think you might find her cousins over at Benji's up the street. Uh, all right. Um, this has only been viewed thirteen thousand three hundred eight times. Oh well. So uh, go to YouTube, folks, and look up Helen Shapiro. Helen Shapiro singing "Tiptoe Through." Yeah, picture her. Yeah, yeah. She's right there. Oh, she's good looking. Yeah, she's not bad. I, I, I'm not into the short hair thing, but uh, this is you know very 1950 something slash. She looks Jewish something. though. I'll tell you that. Oi. <laughs> All right. Um, Maybe if Ed Balfour's listening, he could. Uh, Ed could Ed could clue us in on that. Girl. Yes, that's yeah. right. Uh, but you know, when we were talking last time, we we kind of concluded that Lutherans were were either both and or neither nor when it came to Calvinism, Arminianism. Now, at Calvary Chapel, they call themselves Calminians. Calminians. It's a pick and choose. Oh, pick and... Yeah, well, okay. So, uh, I mean, that's like being a black-white, really, because... They're they're mutually they're, exclusive categories, And arch-enemies. Yes, well, yeah, that's... Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, I that's like that. being a Lutheran papist or something. That's but weird. see, it tells you something, that there's another... There's another way... That these two ways are not, that's not it. There's another way. And that's what Festivus is all about. <laughs> there has to be a better way. Which, by the way, Festivus is this week. Coming up. The 23rd. No, we you should, guys. Yeah, we need to celebrate. Get your, get your aluminum poles out. I'm telling you, it's coming up. <laughs> um, John, say, I want to look at some of these passages and let's see if we can give a Lutheran. Getting rid of that? Yeah, yeah, just crumple that up. I, let's see if we can get a Lutheran spin on this, okay? Okay. So, so this, is, this will be the test. There's a Calvinist spin, an Arminian spin. Can there be a Lutheran spin? How would a Lutheran read this? Are, are we going to read the Calvinist and the Arminian stuff? Kind of. Here? All right. Okay. So, so here we go. Uh, John 6.37. Right. Which says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Words of Jesus in the, in the big John Amen. 6 sermon. That's what Lutherans say. Amen. Amen. All right. So, so sounds all, good. Now, this this comes in in the context. Um, let's see. Six. Yes, but I said to you the verse prior to it. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Well, John six isn't this in the greater context of Capernaum and yes, all that? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. This is part of the bread of life sermon. Right. 
So, in fact, picking up the paragraph, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So you have this kind of combination in John 6 of eating and believing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And here's our verse. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. Okay. Now... According to this, according to this thing, is that a Calvinist reading of this would be that an individual can't refuse God's choice because all that the Father gives to Christ come to Christ. Okay. All right. So I guess that all means all. <laughs> Arminians would then reply that uh, those given to me in verse thirty-seven are those who believe in Him in verse forty. So the following verse, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So for the father to give to give one to the son is for that one to believe. Okay. So what would, what would a Lutheran take beyond that? Um, my take would be simply all the father has, uh, gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Well, Christ doesn't drive us away. We drive ourselves away for one. So it's not that there's any sense of double predestination in here. All that the father gives me. Well, the question is, who does the father give him? Does the father give him all? Or is it ah. just a select few that God gives him? Yeah, so so that this verse, first of all, doesn't doesn't have any implications about it. Doesn't say anything about those the Father does not give him. Right. Um, it's it's just one of those statements like you know if there's only one way to get to the grocery store, all who come to the grocery store go by way of Main Street. Right. So, you know, kind of the way. It, it's, right. It's a. Um, I, well, you know, and and not just that, but also understanding that all are called. And so the Father gives to the Son clearly everyone, right? Well, I'm not sure you can conclude that either. You, you can't conclude it one way or the other. You can't conclude everyone, and you can't no, conclude I'm saying if not go- everyone. If you're going to start eliminating people this way, then I'm saying you can start including people in the same way. <laughs> yeah, well, and what I'm saying is that you do neither. Well, I'll, okay, it's, I'll it's, go with that, it's too. It's just a statement. Now, I think positively it does say, this passage does indicate, that the Father must act in order for one to come to the Son. Okay. You know, and, and I mean, that's consistent with what we believe in, like, say, Ephesians 2, that we're dead. And God makes us alive in Christ Jesus by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift. So so faith is a gift that those who believe in Christ are those who have been granted faith. Now, it doesn't say that there are those who are destined not to be granted faith. Right. It's only in the positive. Right. And I think maybe that's that's the Lutheran spin is always going to be this. Everything you say positively about salvation was going to sound an awful lot like a Calvinist. Okay. Because we do believe in eternal election of salvation in Christ. (laughs) Right? So all that the Father gives me will come to me. Well, good. That means that that it's it's not our doing, but the Father's doing, that we come to Christ, and we have the full assurance that he will not cast us out, that that our trust in him will, will, will not be refused. But our trust in him doesn't come from us. It comes from the Father. All right, I'm 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 looking at uh, the Arminian reply here. And uh, God foresees that some will believe he gives them to Christ. See that ah, in see, verse 45, is... those who have heard and learned from the Father 
are ones who come to me. Yeah, but see, see, we've introduced in this notion of foreknowledge. God right. knows ahead of time who's going to believe, so he preaches the gospel to those he knows ahead of time will believe, and so that's why it appears as though they're elect. Yeah. You know, what, what do the Armenians do with this? Do they, do they go to double predestination on that? Why, why do some not believe? In the, in the Armenian view. Because they choose not to. I grew up Armenian, and I don't even know the answer But they to choose not to. You're, you're in neutral. In an Armenian view of things, you're in neutral. Right. You're, you're, yeah. not, you're not in unbelief, and you're not in belief. You're in neutral. Now, you got to decide. See, the minute you hear the gospel, you've come to a crisis point. That's the Billy Graham decision point. Right. Are you in or you're out? Your choice. Right, so I've told you about. Remember my 110 volts illustration. Mm-hmm. I've told you about the outlet. I've told you about 110 volts. It's potentially yours. You got the power cords in your hand. Are you going to plug in or not? You know, <laughs> and and that's. But that's really that's really the the the, the crux. Now, but before when you don't know about it, that's another thing entirely. You right. have no idea what this power cord does. Yeah, see, I, so, I'm trying to. I mean, it's been 20 years. I'm so evangelism, evangelism in this way of looking at things is information about how to plug into the salvation power. Mm-hmm. But see, having heard it now, now you know you are neutral. You're 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 just standing there, and it's like, do I plug in or not? That that's that's I think the Arminian sort of view here. All right, I, I you know I think we should just kind of move on to the rest. There's another there's another okay. sort of spot in John six. Um, and that's John six forty four, and then later in sixty five, is that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay. You want to read what the Calvinists and Arminians say, or you so want to just comment on that first? Well, accor- I mean, so so according to this, the Calvinist holds that these these passages teach total depravity, unconditional election, and also imply limited atonement, double predestination, because no one can come to me unless because they're totally depraved. Now, mm-hmm. it actually doesn't say that. It just says no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay. All right. Um it has been granted him from the Father, the Father draws him, meaning that uh, this election is unconditional. It's God who does it, the cause is the Father, not the individual. And we would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, i got no problem with that. Limited atonement, double protection, is usually inferred from the face that it is impossible to come to him without election, and therefore those whom the Father has not drawn are naturally destined for judgment. Now, see, there's the problem, is that nobody says that they are not, there is anybody who isn't drawn. It's just a positive statement. You know, it's a little bit like this. A, if A, therefore B, not A, therefore not B. That's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily follow. Okay. Okay. I'm, so, so that... I'm trying to follow. Okay. Well, in, in other words, that, that if one is drawn to Jesus, it's because the Father drew him. Oh, I see what you're saying. If one is not drawn to Jesus, because it the does father... not follow that the Father did not draw right, him. Right, right. See, and, and that's one of the problems is, is uh, there's, a, there's a formal name for that, but, but uh, you can't conclude the negative. This is the consistent problem with the election, is that the Bible teaches an election to salvation, but it says nothing about an election to damnation. You have to fill that in. So you have, you know, if A, then B. If you are elect, then you are saved. If you are not saved, it is because you are not elect. And the strongest verses... Or if you're not saved, it's because you're elect to damnation. I, th- I think the strongest verses that the Calvinists um, use is not here, but Romans 9, 
and we'll probably get into that if we have time. Yeah, Romans nine is 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 a big thing on this. I, yeah. don't, we, I don't know if we'll get get to it here because yeah, of time time constraints. Left. And I think yeah. you know you really need to read Romans nine, ten, and eleven as a unit because right. it's it's one continual argument. Okay, but you know <clears throat> the a Lutheran looks at this and simply sees the confirmation that we can't, on our own initiative, come to God. We don't initiate the relationship. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father who sent Jesus draws him. You know, how does he do that? By the Spirit working through the Word. I mean, that's part and parcel right. in our confession. So that's, that's when we talk about extra nos or, you know, God coming from outside of us. He doesn't come from within we don't buy into that prevenient grace idea that there's something good in us or some scintilla of of uh, ability before God or anything like that. Yeah, see that that trips some Lutherans in 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 in, uh, in America in in Walther's day in the 19th century is that God God chooses those that He knows in advance will believe the intuitu fidei in mm. view of faith. Um, but you know that's that's not the case at all. It's God's will that everybody have faith. It's God's, it's God's will that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And the fact is that no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. Why? Because we are inherently dead. And we're not in neutral. We're turned against God. God's got to spin us around. Yeah, right. Yeah, if, if anything, you know, these passages really indicate that, that the Father and the Son are in cahoots working together. And for us in our salvation. Right, it's not working together to save just some, but right to save some and to damn the rest and kind of you know do, yeah. do a wheat and a chaff kind of thing. But that they're in cahoots for salvation to save the world to save you know all that that has been created. You know what I really like is that verse where John the Baptizer says, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of part of the world." That's... <laughs> well, yeah, right. The redeemable part of the world. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. The Arminian agrees that these passages teach total depravity. However, they argue that the Father draws all men to Christ, which we would agree with that. They further hold that to assign the cause exclusively to the Father ignores verses 29, 35, 40, and 47 to attribute the cause exclusively to the Father regardless of the response of the person. It flies yep. in the face uh, in the face of the stated will of the Father in verse 40, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him uh, be saved. Finally, with regard to limited atonement and double predestination, these positions depend on the earlier conclusion of unconditional election and therefore beg the question. So true, false, and true. Um, that is true. It teaches total depravity in the sense that no one can come to the Father or to the Son on his own initiative. Right. Uh, true in the third part is that uh, this really does not speak at all of any other kind of predestination or any decision on the part of the Father not to draw some. Right. Okay. Uh, false in the middle part, though, is that it makes faith the part, the believing the thing we do. So, you know, this is the God has done his part, now you do your part. So uh, his part is everyone who beholds the Son. And our part is, and believes in him. You get the feeling that as this was being debated between the Calvinists and the Arminians, that 
there might have been a Lutheran in the crowd just like watch, watching a tennis game. Going, going oh, oh, wait, 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 going, wait, going, wait, wait. Yes, no, no, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, no. But that that's the experience. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's why that's why we can we can have congenial depending on what topics on the table, we can have congenial conversations with either side of this thing. Right. You know? <laughs> if you're talking about damnation, man, we're with the Arminians. It's your own damn fault, man. Right. You know, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's like basically, you know, you rejected that salvation that was a stupid move you know you're doing it to yourself yeah if if we're if we're if we're talking salvation we're with the calvinists yeah we got nothing to do with it man god (laughs) God did the whole god did the whole thing wow isn't that great it's all it's all by grace through faith no works you know i I just you know it always just blows my mind when i hear a calvinist saying yeah well calvin went where luther was heading and I don't know if Luther was heading there or not, but the Lutherans sure weren't. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> you know? I, that's right. I don't know where Luther was heading. I mean, he he headed into the ditch on a couple of yeah, things. Kimnitz wasn't there, heading there, no, and, and I, you know the rest of them weren't. But you know, maybe Luther was. I don't, but Luther's not authoritative. So, so but for yeah, the catechism. I, I'm having an interesting experience just kind of reading some of these things because, like you say, it is the tennis match. Is the no? Yes, no. Yes, yeah. yes, no. <laughs> and and it all depends whether you are talking the salvation track or the damnation track. Yeah. And you notice something here in John 6 and and you could you could uh you could you could run all the way up and down John 6. It's all about I will raise him up on the last day. It's all about salvation. And who's saved? Those whom the Father draws, those who believe in him. And let's not forget the let's not forget the, the, the third one. Those who eat and drink of him, those who eat his flesh, the bread of life, and who drink his blood have life in him, and I he will raise them up on the last day. What's that line from Capon in Christ it's all yes? Something <laughs> right. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So you know the the John six John six is all about salvation. It's all about you know Christ's work of raising us up on the last day, and it's it, it's absolutely silent about anything else. If you fill in the silence, you're you're doing it on your own, and that's where we stand apart. Is we're pretty comfortable with that, and we're we're okay with with just being silent at times. Hey, let's check out one real quick. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. Amen. Okay. So, <laughs> what's the point? Well, you know, from <laughs> hey, if you read it like a Calvinist, basically it's you know, you, you know, we don't choose God; God chooses us, and He chooses some to be saved and some not. Well, God does choose oh, us. Oh man, are you ending it on this? It's time's up, man. Oh, see, this is just bad time management, right he's, here. He's chosen you. He's called you his friend. You are baptized. Deal with it. <laughs> You're forgiven. You have a savior. Deal with it. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that he's one who will never leave you flat. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend.